Well, good morning. Well, good morning. That's great. Raise your hand if you're sitting next to someone nice. Just do that. <laughs> Raise your hand if you're not really sure. Just. Well, it's so good to see you. Welcome. And again, if you're joining us online, welcome to you. Lovely folks in traditions as well joining us. So good to have you um, with us. We are in this series, Jesus Help or Hope, Help and Healing. We're looking at Mark's Gospel. And uh, last week, uh, Mackenzie Matthews shared with us about desperate faith. And if you didn't get to hear that, let me encourage you to tune in. It was a beautiful and powerful message. Thanks, Mackenzie, sitting there on the front row, eating something. What are you eating? Bagel? Okay. No, it's all right. And uh, this weekend, I want to talk about untying, untying God's hands. And uh, I want to talk about some things that are pretty complex. And frankly, you know, I can only skate on the surface here. Uh, there's a limited amount of preaching time. I've only got an hour and a half this morning. <laughs> I just said that to provoke fear. But um, come with me and let's see what God does. We've been, we've been pausing for prayer a lot during this service. I think we should do it again. So just pray with me. Father, thank you for your wonderful love for us and your heart for us. And we, today, we would never want to be those who tie your hands. It's a strange thought, but as we look at this episode in Scripture, we ask your Holy Spirit to mightily work among us and surprise us with your beauty. We agree together in Jesus' name. Everybody said... Mark chapter 6 and verse 1 says this, Jesus left there and went to his hometown accompanied by his disciples. By the way, that's Nazareth. He was born in Bethlehem but raised in Nazareth. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked? What's this wisdom that has been given him? What are these remarkable miracles he is performing? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own town, among his relatives, and in his own home. He could not do any miracles there. Wow. He could not do any miracles there, except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. Then Jesus went around teaching from village to village. And then after this, in the following verses, Jesus sends his disciples out two by two and gives them some instructions about how they should conduct themselves on a preaching, healing, and deliverance mission. Now, before we get really into this message, I've got a special guest that I would like to introduce you to. It's taken quite a lot of logistical arrangements to get him here, but um, I would like you, Timberline Church, to please welcome today, with a huge welcome, Mr. Tom Cruise. Would you welcome Tom right now?
Hello, Jeffrey. May I call you Jeffrey? Well, of course I can. I am an A-list celebrity. I can call you whatever I want. It's good to be with you all this morning. I was on a mission there. At, yep, that's me up there. Uh, I was on a mission in Paris. Of course, it's not secret now that I'm here with you. I flew my private jet over here just to be with you this morning. Thank you. Thank you. Well, Tom, welcome. Thank and I'm, I'm very happy to get a word in edgeways here. That's... Uh, How can I uh, bless you this morning, Jeffrey? (laughs) I just want one question to be answered, Tom. uh, Do you do your own stunts? I insist on doing my own stunts. That's good. Is that why you get paid the big bucks? That's why. Yep, exactly. All right. right. Well, it's been a joy to welcome you here. and uh, (laughs) The pleasure is all yours, I'm sure. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Tom Cruise. Now, I want you to capture the feeling that you just had. Because I announced Tom Cruise and some of you ladies were going to come forward for response immediately. (laughs) I announced Tom Cruise, but as Pastor Donnie came up here, you're going, no, no, that's not Tom, that's Donnie. Capture that feeling. Because that is exactly what happened in Nazareth when Jesus stood up. He is acting like Messiah. But in their minds, they're going, no, no, that's not the Messiah. That's Jesus, the local kid. We, We know him. We know his family. The feeling you just had was the feeling that they had. And one of the most remarkable statements in the Gospels is made here in this episode. Think about where we've been over the last few weeks. Because Mark in his Gospel has been showing us the awesome power and authority of Jesus. He is the Jesus who calms the storm, Mark chapter 4. He's the Jesus who kicks out demons, Mark chapter 5. And then also Mark 5, he's the Jesus who raises the dead, Jairus' daughter. Mark wants us to see the, the magnificence of this Jesus. But then suddenly, there is this breathtaking statement. As everything grinds to a, an immediate halt, and Mark says, Jesus could not do any miracles there, except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. I fretted about the title for this message, Untying God's Hands. I thought, that's a fairly provocative title to give to a sermon. But the reality is, in this situation, Jesus' hands were somewhat tied. Now, now what has all of this got to do with us. Jesus was going home. He was going to his hometown and he wanted to do some amazing, wonderful things there. Please know that Jesus wants to come home to us. In John 14, 23, Jesus says, my father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. Home for Jesus is no longer Nazareth, it's us, his people. He wants to come home to us 
And he wants to work wonders in our lives. The question is, can we, with the way that we approach him, the way that we approach life, can we actually end up tying his hands? And that's what we're going to think about. So if you're following along in the bulletin, here's the first thing. First of all, let's ask Jesus to amaze us again. It says, many who heard him were amazed. Some translations say astonished, others say astounded. Think about that, astonished, astounded, amazed. But here's the thing, their amazement didn't last very long. And I'm wondering if that can happen in my life and yours. We make a decision to follow Jesus. We're, we're excited, this is radical, we'll go anywhere, we'll do anything. We are thrilled to be following Jesus. We are amazed at his love, but then amazing grace kind of wears off and we get familiar and we get settled down with Jesus. We think we've got him all figured out and our Christianity can end up being a rather dull habit. And in that, our vision of Jesus shifts. He's no longer the one that, that stirs us with excitement. Dorothy Sayers says this, these are penetrating words. We have very efficiently pared the claws of the Lion of Judah, certified him meek and mild, and recommended him as a fitting household pet for pale pastors and pious old ladies. Now that's a bit of an ageist comment, and it's not great for a pastor if you're kind of pale, but you get the point. Have we tamed in our thinking the Lion of Judah? Or it's not just that we settle down, but we get distracted. And we're no longer amazed at Jesus because we just got life to get on. We've got to get the kids to school. And we've got to go get to the sports games. And we've got to go grocery shopping. Or no, we've got to get the mortgage before we go grocery shopping to pay for the groceries. We've got to do stuff. We get distracted. Jesus describes it as the cares of the world. A couple of weeks ago, I spoke in chapel. We have a weekly chapel for our staff team, for our staff team. And I confessed one of the most embarrassing moments of my life. If you've been around Timberline for a while, you will know that my life is a series of spectacularly ineptitude moments. I sometimes feel like Mr. Bean with a Bible. Some of you are going, Mr. Bean, Mr. Bean, is, is he a biblical character? Is he? No, no, no. And one of my most embarrassing moments, it was when Kay and I, we were dating. You know, I was, we were just teenagers and, and I, we were, I was a brand new Christian and we're driving along in my car an Austin A35, 1956, I bought it for 50 bucks and I paid too much. And my car was a Christian car. I had a big Jesus is alive sticker on the, on the back, on the, on the boot, on the trunk. I had so many fishes on my car, it looked like a mobile aquarium. It was a thoroughly Christian car. And we're driving along and suddenly, woo, woo, woo. 
uh, there's a police car behind us. And you know that feeling, don't you? We love, our, we love our law enforcement officers. We just don't want to chat with them on the roadside. And a guy pulled us over and he came up to the window and I, I said, good morning, officer, because I always try and talk like King Charles III without the ears whenever I am talking to law enforcement. Good morning, officer, how can I help you? And he said, sir, I had to stop you and pull you over. This is so embarrassing. He said, because you and your girlfriend were kissing while driving. <laughs> oh yeah, baby. He said, you weren't paying attention. I'm thinking, I was paying attention. <laughs> he said, focus, don't be distracted. And whether it's cruise control, settling down, or distraction of life, why don't we ask Jesus to amaze us again, to startle us and stir us with a fresh revelation of who he is? Secondly, we learn from this story that we need to make choices and decisions wisely. These people, they say, isn't this Mary's son? Now, let's just stop for a moment, pan back with me, because this was not the first time that Jesus had preached in Nazareth. It was the second time. Uh, earlier, he had preached in the synagogue in his hometown, and it didn't go well. Here's how it went. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of town, and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. I've done a lot of preaching in my life, and I just want you to know that if I went to a church to preach and they tried to kill me afterwards, I'm not feeling led to go back. But he gives them a second chance to make a better choice. But the problem in, that happens here is that, as one commentator says, Jesus was veiled in ordinariness. They ask six questions about him, and the first three are pretty reasonable. They say, where did this man get these things? What's this wisdom that has been given him? What are these remarkable miracles he is performing? Those are good questions, but then suddenly it all goes bad, and they say, isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters with us? And when they said, isn't this Mary's son? Please understand that in that culture, that was a shocking statement, because you would never refer to a man as being the child of his mother. Don't get mad with me, ladies. I didn't create the culture. Back then, you would always refer to the father, not the mother. Commentators believe that what was happening here is that they were recirculating rumors about the possible illegitimacy of Jesus as they say this. Here's what I want us to see. They talk themselves into a bad decision. They chose. They didn't want Jesus, and as we'll see later, they rejected him. Two things about this. First of all, let's choose wisely. I've been doing something in my own life 
um, that's been really helpful to me when it's come to choices. I'm calling these, this strategy making mindless, excuse me, mindfully mindless choices. Let me explain. Um, I really want to work out six days a week. And I really hate working out. I used to run, but I hated it with a passion. And my mind would fight with me. Anyone know what this feels like? You start running, and then your mind says, this is stupid. Lie down on the ground, Jeffrey. Order a pizza. So what's been going on in my life over the last couple of years is that each night before going to bed, I've been saying, I'm going to work out tomorrow morning for an hour. And I get up and behold, the lycra doth beckon. And I go, nah. And what I do is I talk myself out of it. I'm weary. I'm, I'm busy. It doesn't matter. So what I'm doing now is I'm making mindfully mindless decisions. What does that mean? I've decided I'm going to do it. And then when I got up this morning, actually at about 4.30, because the sermon here last night wasn't that great. I'm so glad you're here this morning. I got up at 4.30 this morning, and there's no discussion. I'm not going to talk myself out of working out. I have decided. I don't have a discussion with my brain about whether I should take a shower or clean my teeth. These are decisions that have been made. What anchor decisions might we need to make? And the biggest decision of all that really comes out of this text is about choosing Jesus. I've shared my own story about coming to faith loads of times here, so let, just, let me just give a, a three-minute abbreviated version. The night I became a Christian, I went along to a church, and it was a baptismal service. And if you know what that means, many of you, there's a, a tank at the front, and people get baptized. I didn't know what it was. I'm like, what have they got a swimming pool at the front? What's that about? And I then witnessed what I can only describe as an aquatic mugging. Perfectly coherent people went down into the water, and the pastor, with a long black gown and fishing waders, which I later discovered were leaking, grabbed them by the throat and shoved them under the water. Everybody seemed to think this was a joyful idea. They clapped and smiled and sang a song, and then the person reappeared, which was a relief. And I turned to my friend who'd come with me, and I said, let's get out of here because we're going to end up in that tank if we're not careful. These people are all crazy. They had their hands raised in worship. I'm like, what are they doing? Are they asking to be excused to use the bathroom? One, if you need to go. Two, if you're really frantic. What's going on? I went out and sat in my car, the 1956 A3550. I lit a cigarette and I turned to my friend and I said, that's bleeping well it. I'm never going to go to another bleeping church for the rest of my bleeping life because they're all bleeping mad. Just to be clear, I didn't actually say bleeping. <laughs> I made a decision. I made a vow. I want nothing to do with this ever again. And then I realized 
that I'd left my coat in the church. I've got to go back in there. I went back in just to get my coat. I bumped into the youth pastor who had this massive smile, grin. He looked like Jaws with a Bible. It was incredible. And they were having a little gathering after the evening service. And he said, would you like to come to the afterglow? And I'm like, what? What is the afterglow? Are they setting fire to the elderly? What's going on? And I said, yes. And my friend and I, we went and we sat down and we were so self-conscious and everyone's looking at us and we're sitting, sitting in a circle. Ugh. And then one of these slightly damp baptismal candidates came over to me and said, hello, are you a Christian? And I said, of course I am, I'm British. <laughs> Stupid statement. And at that moment, I knew. And I said, he started apologizing. He thought he'd offended me. I said, no, no. I said, I want to be, I'm not a Christian. And I want to become a Christian. And my friend, who I only bought with me for security, he said, I want to become a Christian too. I said, what have we got to do? He said, you have to come to the little room at the back. <laughs> Freaky. We went to the little room at the back and we heard the amazing news that Jesus loved us and cared for us, had a plan for our lives, died for our sin, was raised and now alive. And the question was asked, do you want to invite him into your life? And we both knelt down. Teenagers, I've got a hair down to here if you can imagine it. I had beads around my neck. It was fashionable at the time. It was 1970-something. A fashion demon roamed the earth. Word got round outside. Two lads are becoming Christians. They look like Tom Cruise. <laughs> and I opened the door, having given my life to Christ. And they waited. They formed a long line that went all the way to the back of the church. And I had to go down the line getting handshakes and hugs of congratulation. And I met Kay in that line, my wife. I got Jesus and Kay the same day. Good deal. Yeah. She had her eye on my friend, but that's not important right now. <laughs> the point is this. I'm only here because I forgot my coat. God didn't send me an email, they hadn't been invented back then, to say this is the moment that's gonna change everything for you. I just went back for my coat. Is it possible, is it possible that this is your moment? And you just thought you'd, you'd show up here because your spouse threatened you. Or you just came in because you were vaguely interested and it's so good to have you here. Let's choose well. And there will be an opportunity at the end of this service in a few moments to make that decision. The third thing is this, refuse the fortified city of offense. 
refused the fortified city of offense, and they took offense at him, at Jesus. Why have I used this fortified city idea? Because when you're offended, we're stubborn. An offended friend is harder to win back than a fortified city, says Proverbs 18. Notice, they're offended with Jesus. And so are some of us. We're angry with God. You know what you need to know, what I need to know when I'm angry with God? I need to know that I'm not alone. Cain got angry with God, Genesis 4. Abraham got angry with God, Genesis 18. Jeremiah got angry with God and cursed the day of his birth. The Bible is loaded with anger. What happens with us is we get frustrated with life and then we turn that onto Jesus because we kind of expect an easier ride and we feel angry and then we try and stifle that and deny it and we say to sadness, you are unwelcome. Please listen carefully. Feeling sad or even angry, even angry with God is a sign that we're fully alive. Grief is what we feel because we have loved. Disappointment is what we feel because we have hope. Anger is what we feel because we notice the pain and the injustice in the world. There are times when we will feel offended with Jesus. Why, why didn't you save me from this pathway that I'm walking? I got offended. I don't want to tell you this. I got offended a little bit with Jesus on Friday because he answered a prayer. You go, what? Jeff, you have a spectacular gift of being offended and angry. Let me tell you what happened. Friday morning, I was praying and I was thinking about a situation that I need some wisdom for. And I thought, who can I talk to about this? And I thought it would be really good if I could find another pastor who's been in ministry for a lot of years. And uh, I started thinking about people that, I said, Lord, who, who can help me? Who can give me some wisdom in this situation? And while I'm praying, the phone rang. And I thought, well, I'm not gonna answer the phone because I'm praying. So when I get to the end of my prayer, six or seven hours later, <laughs> a few minutes later, I go to my phone. I look, it's a call from England. There's seven hours ahead there from the senior pastor that I served with when I began in ministry in church planting. He just happened to feel like he should call me. While I'm asking God, who am I gonna call? He called. And without me telling him about my situation, he gave me the answer to it right there in the call. And I, I got to the end of the call and I said, thank you, Jesus. But then there was another phone call yesterday morning. 
from our friend in England, Dinah. And Dinah, an OR nurse, had a stroke last week and it's taken her sight. She just has just tunnel vision in one eye. She's seeing weird, crazy things because her brain is trying to compensate. Hands coming out of mouths. It's a recipe for madness. And I cried on the phone call. And when the call ended, <laughs> here's what I said to Jesus. Jesus, I really appreciate you answering that prayer. But you see, every answered prayer creates a dilemma. If you answered that prayer, why don't you answer that prayer? Never mind about phone calls giving me wise advice. Just heal Dinah's sight, please. I was a little bit frustrated with Jesus as a result of him doing something for me. So where are we at? Don't try and hide from your frustration with God. I love this verse in the Bible. It says, Jonah was angry and he prayed. Don't try and deny it, express it. Tell God how you feel. If you doubt the credibility or the authenticity, not, those are not the right words. If you doubt that that's good advice, look at the Psalms. The Psalms are loaded with angst and complaint. Bring it to him. Fourthly, Let's amaze Jesus with faith, not unbelief. He was amazed at their lack of faith. Now, Mark in his gospel, he only uses this word amazed to describe an emotion that Jesus had once, and it's right here. Jesus amazes other people all the time in Mark, but just one time, he's actually amazed, and he's amazed at the lack of faith that he finds in Nazareth. Now, I just need to say here, this is not that pesky doubt that can run around all of our minds. This is not doubt. I think everybody has doubts. Some Christians tell me that they never ever doubt that all of this is true, and I'm, I'm happy for you if that's true. Mark Littleton says, doubt hangs its hat on all Christians. None can honestly say they've escaped it. And, Doubt can strike us. Uh, personal disclosure. I mean, I've seen God do some amazing things. I drove my car off of a cliff once in Oregon, and God picked the car up. So I, I, I know there's a God, but every now and again, I'm, I'm driving along and I'm on I-25. And surprise, surprise, there's a traffic jam. And I become a temporary atheist in traffic jams. And I suddenly think, I, or, or sometimes it can hit me just before I'm coming up here to preach, I'm going to shock some of you, and I'll go, oh, I really hope there's a God. Because if there's not, I'm wasting a whole lot of my life up here. Now, you're saying, that's shocking. You should be ashamed of yourself. You're a pastor. I'm just a fellow human being. Doubt is normal. Why, why do we doubt? Because, well, what we're believing is humanly impossible. It's impossible for someone who's been dead for three days to get up and walk out of the tomb. But with God, all things are possible. Doubt happens because we're not currently seeing straight. One day we're going to see Jesus face to face. 
We won't have any doubts then. In the meantime, we don't. So if you occasionally doubt, it doesn't make you a bad Christian. It just means you don't actually happen to be dead yet. We're in a battle, a spiritual warfare. Doubt is part of the fight. And we haven't arrived in full maturity yet. In other words, don't disqualify yourself because of doubt. But unbelief is something different. Unbelief is where you've seen the miraculous and you still refuse. And there's another occasion in the Gospels where Jesus is amazed in Luke chapter seven and in Matthew chapter eight, and this time he's amazed by the faith of a centurion. When Jesus heard about him, when Jesus heard this, he was amazed. Let's amaze Jesus with our faith. Let's pray for faith. Let's feed our faith with scripture. Let's share our faith because when we do that, faith grows. Let's start asking for what we think is impossible again. Let's bring faith fragile though it might be to Jesus. Well, the last thing is this. Know that rejection will be part of life's journey. Because before Jesus sends his disciples out, he says, if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, leave that place and shake the dust off your feet. Rejection is a theme in both parts of this story. The disciples are with him in that synagogue. They see him being rejected, and then they see him carrying on with his mission, traveling around the different villages. What did Jesus do when he was rejected? He moved on. And what does he tell his disciples to do when they're rejected? He tells them to move on, shake the dust. Now this is complex, but As the band come back and as we're preparing ourselves to pray, let me just say a couple of things about rejection. First of all, it's part of life. None of us are going to get out of life, and we know this already, without experiencing rejection, not getting that job, not getting approval from that parent, the parent who decided to not parent us after all, the spouse who comes home one day and says that they no longer love us, that they love someone else, the friend who blindsides us with betrayal, the child who turns their back on our love. And rejection cuts very, very deeply. Why? Because you and I were made by the triune God, the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We don't really understand that, but God as community has made us for community. We are wired to belong. Therefore, when rejection comes along, it cuts to the heart of who we are. Please hear me. I'm not saying just move on, move on. What I am saying is with God's help, don't be paralyzed by rejection. Don't be defined by it. With God's help, keep going. Jesus knows what rejection feels like. In Mark 12, we'll discover later, he describes himself as the stone the builders rejected. Isaiah 53, verse 3, he was despised and rejected by mankind. The Gadarene demoniac, remember that? That guy who was crying out in the night and the villagers gathered and said, Jesus, go away. His own family thought that he was out of his mind and tried to stage an intervention. He knows rejection. 
and he will never reject us. John 6, 37, those the Father has given me will come to me and I will never reject them. So here we are at the end of this message and I want to pray. In a moment, we're going to stand together if we're able. And we're not doing this every week, this thing that I'm about to do, because everything can become pedestrian. But I'm actually going to ask and invite you to come forward for prayer. And let me explain that and then we'll do it. I would love to include you in a prayer if you are feeling offended at Jesus. If you're angry. I would like to include you in a prayer if you're dealing with rejection at the moment and it is so hurtful. I'd like you to come forward for prayer if you feel like you're on cruise control and you want to break out of that and ask Jesus for a fresh revelation of him. I'd like you to come forward for prayer if you'd like to give your life to Christ. Don't miss the moment. And finally, I would like you to come forward for prayer for no other reason than that you'd like to come forward for prayer. Might be for physical healing. Why don't we ask him? So, would you stand with me? If you're able, let's stand. And we're going to begin to sing. And... Uh, if you would like to be included in prayer, you say, why are you asking us to come to the front? Do you, you, you want to just parade us or something? No, I just think there's something intentional about responding and saying, yeah, I'm hearing this and I want to respond to God. So we're going to sing and I'd like to invite you to start coming if you'd like to come. Do it right away, then we'll pray and move towards the end of our service. Let's sing. And if you'd like to come, come straight away.
just before we pray, and then perhaps you could bring us back into one more expression of that beautiful song. When I was praying about this weekend, uh, I felt God put it on my heart that there would be someone here this weekend, and over the course of this weekend particularly, either yesterday or today, you have said these three words. It's too late. It's very specific. It's too late. Now, I'm here to tell you, it's not too late to choose well. It's not, too, it's not all over. And if that is you, I'd like you to come and see me. I'll be out at the Welcome Center. I'd love to pray with you. If you said either this morning or yesterday, it's too late. I want to pray with you. Let's pray together now. We thank you for the sense of your presence that we feel here today, Father. And as I continue in this prayer, by the way, prayer team members, if you want to come out and stand here with us as well, that'd be great. You know the stories of each one who stand here today. And they are making a very clear and open response to your word. So we ask you, Holy Spirit, to work a work in their hearts of healing and wholeness. We pray for physical and emotional healing. Where there's anger, may they feel even able to whisper their frustration to you. Where they are giving their life to you, Jesus, making that decision, reveal yourself to them. We love your presence, Lord. We love you. We give you thanks.
thank you so much for joining us this morning. And if you would like to talk with someone about how God is moving in your life, our prayer team, they'll be right up here at the front. They would love nothing more than to pray for whatever it is that is going on in your life. And as always, thank you for your generosity and giving when you give. You're helping to support ministry partners like UCount. UCount, they exist to eradicate local and global human sex trafficking through prevention, awareness, and rescue. So you can give online, you can use the app, or drop your offering in the box on your way out this morning. And as you make your way out, stop by the Welcome Center, say hi to Pastor Jeff, and be mindful of the tables in the mall where you can write a letter to a veteran. God bless everyone. Have a great rest of your week.